The reading is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It is on page 785 of your pew Bible. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Word of God, word of life. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. TV shows sometimes start by reminding you how the last episode ended. And sometimes in that recap, they'll show something from like a few shows back or even a few seasons back. And they do this because that thing that happened from a few seasons ago is going to help make sense of something that's about to happen in the episode you're about to watch. The recap provides context. I'm always amazed how much I forget. Like, oh yeah, that happened, yeah. This would be helpful, I think, for today's text from Matthew, like previously in the Bible. And then you'd see a very familiar scene with a very familiar Moses standing in front of all Israel saying, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and ordinances that I'm addressing to you today. And then he recounts the Ten Commandments and a lot more. It's a very famous segment of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Jews refer still to this long speech of Moses with a single word. They call it the Shema, which means hear or listen. Kind of a shorthand for the whole speech. Much like many of us might refer to Martin Luther King Jr.'s March on Washington speech at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, maybe we simply call it the I Have a Dream speech. So as we dive into Matthew 4, I would start the previously in the Bible with this scene from the wilderness. Because when Moses proclaims his famous Shema, Israel have been wandering around this wilderness for a very long time time. The wilderness is a character unto itself throughout the Bible, and to understand what it means to the story of Jesus in Matthew, we need to understand what it meant to Israel in the days of Moses. Wilderness was a place to be lost and found at the same time. 
In Deuteronomy 8, Moses says, Remember the long way God has led you these many years in the wilderness, whether or not you were keeping God's commandments. The clothes on your back didn't wear out. Your feet didn't swell. And then he says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord, your God, disciplines you. This is where Israel is first talked about or thought of as son of God. Like as a collective, as a community, as a people, they together are treated like God's own child. Together, Israel is son of God. And then the Shema goes on with exhortations from Moses, take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep God's commandments, etc., etc. Now, what I would not need to include in my recap for the audience who's about to hear Matthew 4 is that Israel did forget their God. They did fail to keep God's commandment. That's the obvious. But it's going to be important that my gospel audience knows that when they hear the words Son of God, referring to Jesus in this upcoming episode, it's going to be important that they know Israel itself was originally spoken of in this way, as God disciplines Israel like a man disciplines his son. Connections, see? The next highlighted scene I'd want to include to provide context for today's story, well, I'd like fast forward, I jumped forward all the way from Moses and Deuteronomy to John the Baptist in the story that comes right before today's text. The scene would show John dramatically looking in the eyes of Jesus, and I can't have this line come out of my mouth without thinking Captain Kirk, so it's very dramatic. But he says, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me, like that kind of thing. And then it would skip out of that moment where then you'd see Jesus being immersed into the Jordan. And just as he comes up from the water, the heavens open and the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. And we hear a voice say, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And that's where today's episode picks up. That's what just happened right before Matthew says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I remember this bothered me as a young Bible reader, and it still strikes me as jarring that Jesus just got baptized, and the very next thing we're told by Matthew is that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. A familiar character for those who know their Bible, which most who heard Matthew's gospel would have been. They would imagine Jesus being led into that place where one is both lost and found at the same time. A place of danger and God's presence at the same time. So what is happening here anyway? Jesus is led by God's own Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? So first thing I want to say about it is that tempted is not the way I would translate this sentence. In his responses to the devil, Jesus each time quotes the famous Shema from Deuteronomy. So it makes more sense to me and to lots of other people to instead of saying Jesus was led to be tempted, I'd rather say Jesus was led to be tested. Because that's how Deuteronomy has Moses talk about it. 
Moses says, remember the long way God led you these years in the wilderness, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commandments. See, that's exactly what's happening here with Jesus. In his baptism, the voice from heaven just said, this is my son. So Jesus is stepping in where all Israel together had their hearts tested. Tested is the way Moses talked about it. Tested is different from tempted, isn't it? As I thought about the difference between these two words, it made me think of the way Consumer Reports tests vehicles. They take 50 cars a year. They spend a week with each one doing more than 50 tests. What are they testing for? Road comfort, acceleration, safety systems. They play with all the controls and the displays. Handling, fuel economy, headlights, noise, trunk space, and lots of other things. There are more than 30 staff who only test cars. They buy them off a lot. They take them straight to their 327-acre test center in rural Connecticut. Much like Jesus was taken by the Spirit straight to the wilderness, God's test center in rural Holy Land. But engineers in Connecticut are not tempting cars to fail. They're testing cars to see what those cars can do. There's a big difference between tempting one to fail and testing to observe capabilities. And I think when we understand this story to be the testing of the Son of God, seeing what Jesus is capable of, rather than reading it as though it's the temptation of Jesus— wondering whether, is he going to fail? The good news Matthew is trying to tell shines through a lot more clearly when we see and understand that this is the testing of the Son of God. See, Matthew's not interested in offering a suspense story where we wonder for one moment whether Jesus will remain faithful or give in to ambition or weakness. Matthew is interested in simply proclaiming good news, clear good news, about what Jesus is capable of. And what makes it so good is that anybody who knows the story of Israel knows the bad news of their own test results. Time and again, as they made their way into the promised land, as they tried to live in the promised land together in peace, as they navigated the time of the prophets and the time of the kings, over and over, Israel, chosen child of God, turned away from God. Israel forgot God's life-giving ways. Israel kept testing out as all systems die. Which should feel familiar to us on this first Sunday of Lent. But by the grace of God through Jesus, we would suffer the same test score. On Ash Wednesday, we remembered together that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. We are no better than those ancients who tried to save themselves, who believed the lies that I'm more worthy than my neighbor. And, you know, those people aren't my neighbor anyway, as though we can disregard others. We too test out as all systems die. Which brings us to Matthew's good news. Over the last few weeks and months even, I've had more conversations than usual that have landed in a place where someone wonders, where is God in this anyway? Why doesn't God do something? This life can feel like its own wilderness, where we are lost indeed, 
and lost hurts, and lost is scary, and lost can leave us feeling angry or frustrated or just numb. Numb's not great either. The good news Matthew shares is that God does something. Where is God? The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then connected to our own baptism in our own life, tells us that God is in, among us, in this wilderness, in this community of ours, transforming any lostness we know into found. Jesus is put to an extreme test as he fasts for 40 days, otherwise known as a long time. He's famished, which every human knows is the perfect environment for bad choice-making. Snickers even does commercials about this, right? Hangry? Like, you don't make good choices when you're super hungry, but Matthew doesn't tell us all of this to make us wonder how close Jesus might come to moral failure. How close will Jesus get to sin? Matthew paints this extreme image for us to see what this Jesus can do, what this Jesus does. Pushed to feeling famished, Jesus still resists providing for himself rather than trusting the provisions of God. Jesus still resists testing God back, quoting Deuteronomy 6.16 at the tempter. Jesus still resists the lies of the devil when the devil says, I'll give you the world if you worship me. Jesus knows the world isn't the devil's to give. The devil's lying, and Jesus sees right through it. Even in his famished state, Jesus just is faithful and shoes Satan away. Israel, child of God, tested out all systems dead. Put in even more extreme circumstances, Jesus, son of God, tests out all systems live. In the faith of Jesus, all systems live. Family systems, as broken as families that you know, maybe the one you're in, as broken as it might be. All relationships, actually. Nations. The earth itself, the sea and all its creatures, our bodies, our spirits, all the things that test out dead are made to live in Jesus. We, church, get to go along for the ride, living through all the wilderness, oftentimes feeling lost, for sure, but found by God nonetheless. And I don't know about you, but there are certain places, certain groups of people, certain times of year when I remember, oh yeah, I am found by God. Where's that kind of place for you? Who are those people that you get to spend time with and remember that you are indeed found? I know for me and my family and for many of you, Sugar Creek Bible Camp is one of those places. Since my eldest was a little one, and she's not a little one anymore, we've gone to family camp at Sugar Creek. We've made faith friends from all over the synod. And I got to say, faith friends are a little different and an important different from bleacher friends, for example. You know, fun people you sit with in the bleachers at your kids' stuff or your grandkids' stuff. They're different kinds of relationships from the neighborhood friends we have, or family even. 
Where's your found place? Who are your found people? As for found time, when in this wilderness of life we remember that our lostness is overcome by Jesus, Lent is a time to remember. Because God knows remembering feelings of lostness come pretty easy. And that's why the church encourages each other every year to practice Lent. Whether you give something up or add something like a daily devotional or a small group or journaling or whatever it is, Lent is a time of spiritual discipline that helps us remember that Jesus tests out all systems live. And so do we. Thanks be to God. Amen.